Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our best long-term guide has always been the Federal Reserve. They have the most money in the world, and what they do with policy and their money matters a lot. So when they're telling investors and are stimulating, it's usually a good time to follow and, and move more aggressive. Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. Do you come from one of those families that never discusses money? You're not going to learn about it at school, so if not your family, then where else is this knowledge going to come from? I'd like to welcome my guest, J.R. Gondek. Hi, J.R. Hello. J.R. is a partner and managing director with The Learner Group, providing wealth management services. J.R., you work with families to promote communication and collaboration between generations. Do you find that many parents avoid these kind of discussions? It's very difficult, and you find that it's very common to avoid these conversations for a multitude of reasons. And it's different from every family. In many of the older generations, you tend to find you don't want to share because you think the next generation just wants the money. The older generation might not want to share because they don't want to take the fire out of the belly of the next generation. But we find if there's communication and collaboration, you just get a better result for everyone. And a lot of times it could just be talking about structure and legacy planning, not about the dollars or the total amount. And a lot of times not using the totals and, and the values can help facilitate those conversations between generations. Oh, so you just avoid talking about what the actual amounts are. You just say there's something there. <laughs> As a starter, right? Because you need to get the conversation started. And then once you get a little more comfort, you tend to find you can start filling in some of those gaps. Are um, some parents that suspicious of their offspring? Well, it's just more that it's just kind of the way it's been all these generations that you'll kind of find out after I leave this earth is a lot of the mentality. And now more than ever, it, kind of having those conversations sooner because of tax planning and, and other issues that come up that if there isn't proper coordination, money is just lost in translation between generations. And a lot of it is very avoidable. So what are some of the mistakes that you see families making in these kind of uh, interactions? Just not having the conversation is the first and, and biggest problem we have. So a lot of times, if you have a wealth advisor, a family advisor that you can trust to be the kind of middle person to help with those conversations, because what we talk to a lot of our families that we work with either matriarch and patriarch is that your children or grandchildren don't have to necessarily invest with us, but they should have a relationship because we understand where things and how the plan is set up. So it's, it's just going to be a better setup long term guiding them if there's conversation and using a, a wealth advisor is a good example to help avoid some of those mistakes because it's just not proper titling. A lot of mistakes you'll see as you go through all the pain of setting up an estate plan, but you don't title your assets within the trusts or entities that you've gone through the work of thinking through. So a lot of it is follow through as well on completing things. And a wealth advisor really helps to ensure that you've completed all that as well. 
A lot of people, I think, also have this idea that um, they know best, that they've got these things under control. They don't really need an advisor. Why waste the money on an advisor? But really, the more I've been doing this podcast and talking to people and seeing what uh, the mistakes that beginners are making, the more I'm thinking, well, maybe professional advice is not such a bad idea. One thing we talk about is a lot of investors focus on what we call the investment return, which is looking at the performance of your portfolio, your 401k, a lot of the retirement accounts. But we talk about is the wealth return. The wealth return includes the investment return, includes the title of your assets, your insurance, everything that's in there. And the wealth return is so much greater than purely the investment return. And that's really what you're paying for an advisor like to guide you through as a family. So let's look at the younger members of the family. What are some of the things that you start uh, discussing with them when you're having these family discussions? What do they need to understand? A lot of it is just coordination. So many times the kids have had their own kids, so grandchildren are in place. And when you have your kids, I have young children, one of the first things you think about is saving for college, right? How do I save? What's the best vehicle? And then you and your spouse may discuss that and set up a plan you think is appropriate. But then your parents or grandparents might be establishing something as well. And if those don't align, you might have duplication or you might be kind of overdoing in in certain situations. So we find that as a a pretty common mistake. And a lot of times you have a a young child. You don't know what they're going to have in the future. Do they get a scholarship? Are they going to be an athlete? Are they going to be even go to college? It's so far into the future. But that coordination helps to solve for a lot of those long term issues. And what are some of the dangers that need to be addressed or um, prepared for in the future? Well, it's just the, the unknowns. You talk about kind of the old saying, creditors and predators. And a good plan can help to avoid that. And unfortunately, the numbers are what they are. Divorce rate is over 50%. And with good planning, having a gifting strategy as a family in place, you can think through and, and really mitigate and avoid a lot of those issues. And we're in a litigious society. There's lawsuits all the time. Well, with a proper estate plan, you can protect from those creditors that, that could come after an estate or, or assets. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because do you ever find any pushback from um, younger members of the family who think, um, you know, well, love's going to conquer everything. This is the love of my life. I've found my soulmate. <laughs> and um, what are the kind of structures that can be put into place short of a prenup, I guess? Well, and the prenup is what everybody wants to avoid, right? The last thing you want is you're about to get married two weeks before the wedding. You slide a form in front of one of the people getting married and says, please sign here, right? And that's the uncomfortable conversation nobody wants to have as a family. So what we talk about is educating when the patriarch or matriarch gift down a generation. But if it's into the proper trust, you educate on how to keep assets separate. This is premarital. Now, after you're married, let's talk about commingling assets. And then as you invest in a house, understanding the importance of, of the title of each asset. And that helps to keep assets in bloodline as opposed to be subject to a, a risk in the future. Part of the problem, as I see it, are misconceptions about wealth creation assets. There's uh, many people, older people, who see the stock market as too risky and younger ones who see some asset classes as too boring. What, what are some of the strategies you've got for um, well, discussing these issues and reaching a balance for your clients? Well, the, the thing we talk about is there's two really traumatic points of time 
that you can hurt yourself in the long run. One is at the top of the market in the cycle and one's at the bottom of the market of the cycle. And you don't have to look longer than a year ago at this time during COVID when stock prices were plunging. The last thing you want to do is get worried and sell at the bottom. And the the other is true right now. Stock prices are near all-time highs. And if you look at a certain stock or a trend, cryptocurrency, for example, might be something that you expect is going to continue to go up forever. And you invest at the peak of the market in the wrong or concentrate in the wrong thing. And both can be very bad for your retirement plan. So a lot of the starters is just to be disciplined and not look too closely and really be diligent about how you're saving and not let your emotions get the best of you when you're investing. So do you find part of your role is uh, holding people's hands, taking those phone calls to guide them through these times? Absolutely. And it, it really comes down to trusting your plan. So if your goal was to save a certain amount every year, a lot of what we do is hold accountability to make sure you continue to stick to the plan that's going to get you to that retirement. There are times when things are down, you're like, you question whether you should wait a little bit. That's where your your emotions get the best of you. You stick to that plan and trust it and work through it. You'll get there. I was actually speaking yesterday to a, a, an advisor, another advisor, and um, he was talking about understanding risk and um, what he's finding that he has to do is someone has got a friend who made a lot of money in the previous year investing, say, in emerging markets. So they want to go and buy an ETF or something in emerging markets and then it drops down. And what he's doing is he's talking about the risk that these people are taking and then the risk of selling out in the short term when things aren't moving in the direction that they want them to. And one good example of what you just said is the difference between growth stocks last year and value stocks the first quarter of this year. Growth stocks generally were up a very high double-digit number last year. Value stocks were flat to negative in a lot of cases. This year in the first quarter, it's absolutely the opposite. Value stocks are up double digits and growth stocks are flat to negative in the first quarter. And it's if you chased and rebalanced to start this year all toward growth, because thinking last year was going to continue, you missed the mark. And it's, again, having that balance to not let your emotions chase last year's return or last year's trend and really kind of stay current is a key to long-term investing. So do you find that's something that you do have to manage with your clients? Absolutely. And it, it's trying to talk through, you read about a hot stock or a new industry and you look over wanting to over-allocate. Having said that, it's always we always encourage investors to have a small portion of, of kind of fun money, if nothing else, in their portfolio. It's really a consumption good, helps you learn, helps you stay engaged. That's a good thing we encourage. But just keep it to a very small percentage of your overall total so that it doesn't hurt that long-term plan. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm just going to ask you here at the moment because I like uh, listeners to learn something from each episode. What's your definition of a growth versus a value stock? What differentiates the two? 
Well, this has changed a lot over time since I began a long time ago, right? Because it, it used to be generally, if you paid a dividend, you were more of a value stock. It's kind of just an easy one. And uh, it still is to this day. But I, I think as you, you look near term and you look over the next couple of quarters, one of our biggest concerns is inflation. With all the stimulus we've seen in the United States and worldwide, inflation is a big concern. So some of the new growth industries we see ahead are actually some of the conventional value industries from a historical perspective. And a lot of these are the commodity names. With the stimulus and everything else, near term, over the next few quarters at least, we think these will perform much more like growth stocks where you're going to get some dividend, but probably a lot of capital gain as well. Whereas historically, it's been the kind of high technology or high growth have been uh, really labeled as, as the growth stocks where you don't pay a dividend and they're reinvesting for all that future growth. So give us an example of a commodity stock. What's on your radar at the moment? One of our favorites is BHP Billiton, right? And when you think about all the stimulus that's going to happen, the infrastructure bill that's being proposed right now by the Biden administration over the next eight to 10 years at least, and think just logically what that means. It's going to consume more cement, more iron ore, more steel, more copper. And a company like BHP, where you're getting a very nice dividend, north of 6%, and a lot of upside. Their CEO, even a couple of weeks ago, said business is even better than they expected. And as Europe reopens, which is going to be a little bit delayed, we're all stimulating worldwide to kind of create jobs and, and pay for a lot of that borrowing that every country did during the pandemic. What do you think are the best vehicles for um, getting involved in the commodity sector? I mean, would you be recommending individual stocks to your clients or ETFs, funds? We only do individual stocks uh, with our business. But for those who are listening, a diversified ETF is a very good way to get exposure as well, to have a portfolio tied to commodities. You know, again, our favorites continue to be cement, copper, iron ore, just think about anything that goes into construction, you know, roads, bridges, you name it, that's going to be in high demand worldwide for the years ahead. And when you think about the advantage, it's been a long time. The cycle that, that it reminds us of is the period from 2003 to 2010, where at the time, if you go back, China was consuming in a lot of commodities. And we had a housing boom here in, in the early 2000s in the U.S., and think about building. Right now, we have a hot housing market, both in the U.S. and worldwide, and you have a huge infrastructure bill that's likely to pass. All of those that are that go into those projects are going to continue to produce what we think about as margin expansion. Because so if you think about a copper mine, you can't dig the copper out faster, but as the price goes up, you have the same amount of people. Your profits soar. Why do you invest in individual stocks rather than other vehicles for your clients' wealth? We just find more flexibility in tax strategies. So, for example, during the COVID period, you know, we talk about our crisis playbook for investing. And when you enter a very uncertain period like COVID, having individual stocks allows you the flexibility to raise cash. It's my third crisis having gone through from the dot-com to the financial crisis to the COVID crisis. And each one you enter similarly, where you want to raise some cash. You don't want to time the market and go all the cash, but you want to have some liquidity because there's just a lot of unknown where there's opportunity and you need some cash and some liquidity to eventually take advantage of, the, of that opportunity. And, and that was similar. 
So having individual stocks allows you to not have capital gains, plan around the capital gains, and allow that flexibility to maneuver through the crisis investing. You refer to those times of opportunity, but that's when emotions come into play. It's very difficult for investors to be brave in those situations when everyone's panicking. How do you deal with that? Well, it's, again, another reason where you want to use an advisor to walk you through and stick that plan. And from us, our best long-term guide has always been the Federal Reserve. They have the most money in the world, and what they do with policy and their money matters a lot. So when they're telling investors and are stimulating, it's usually a good time to follow and, and move more aggressive. So, for example, our buy signal last year was March 23rd. At the time, that's when the Fed said they'll do whatever it takes to support the market, and that turned out to be the bottom. You don't want to go all in during that period of time, but watching what the Federal Reserve does with policy, and even as we sit here today, they're printing $120 billion a month for the foreseeable future. So in general, our translation is they're telling investors you can lean toward a little more risk in your portfolio near term. And when they start to reduce their balance sheet and not print $120 billion, that's when you can take some profits and lean to be a little more conservative. But the Federal Reserve has been our, our best guide long term. And each crisis, they gave the signal of when you could start to lean more aggressive. You referred to a turning point being March 23rd last year. Um, is that based on fundamentals or do you use technicals? What, what, what guides your, um, your buy and sell signals? Purely was the Federal Reserve. Right. And then when you, when you look at crisis investing, in some sense, when you, you get a signal like that from the Fed, whatever you buy will probably be very profitable. But the best place to invest in each of the last three crises were small cap, smaller companies, because what happens is smaller companies don't have the liquidity as the big companies. So as you get in a crisis and everybody panics to sell, the small companies get beat up and go down more than the large in percentage terms. So by the time you get to the bottom of the market, those are the best buy, right? And that's what we look for, and that's what we did last year. Not every listener has the good fortune to be born in a well-off family. What are some steps that less well-off families can take to build a prosperous future, in your opinion? A lot of it's just having a disciplined plan, right? Whatever it's the savings, $50 a month, if it's $500 a month, you name it, is to set that money aside for a long-term plan and don't touch it. Be disciplined, defend that money from your normal spending, from your reserve fund. This is your long-term retirement plan and stay diligent. And you'd be very surprised after a number of years of sticking to that plan, how much wealth will accumulate. And then you could start to really look to other goals, increase those saving goals, other things. But the key is to be disciplined on how much you're going to put away, even if it's a small amount in the beginning. And do not look at it. Do not touch it. Defend that money from being spent. And also, depending on your stage in life, if you're young, to be there with um, high-risk assets to at least um, try and build them up and compound over many years and understanding that process. And the compounding is key because you, you know, year to year, you, you might see up and down and those kinds of things. But if you stick to that long-term Discipline compounding in general, you can expect that 8 to 10% return over a long period of time. And the compounding and the ability to dollar cost average or save will just play out very well over time if you can stick to that plan and save. So tell us about the book, Family Value at Risk. 
I've been all over your website over the last couple of days doing research for this interview, and it seems like quite an interesting um, bunch of insights that you've got. What would you like to share and some of the lessons? Well, a couple of things. I mean, in the book, we like to share some stories, good and bad. Every family can find a little bit of their own family in some of these. And if you can learn from it and really kind of protect your family or improve your family plan over it, that was really a lot of the goal of the book. And the other thing I would say is with the industry, the industry has been in general, male dominated. So a male advisor talking to the patriarch of the family and stick to only money discussion. We try to do in the book is talk about intentional, inclusive communication, meaning include both spouses. And then on the advisor team side, have both man and woman perspective, because we all think differently. And what we find is the more you include all the opinions, you get deeper than just the money. You discover the family concerns that you need to address in your plan and then get on to the legacy. You know, a lot of times families don't share their good and bad stories of how they develop their wealth, the difficulties they went to earn that. And it's so valuable to share that with your kids and grandkids of, of where you were at certain points of your life and help them relate to it. Because we talk about is, is avoiding the shirt sleeve in three generations where the first generation builds up the wealth the second generation maintains the wealth and the third generation burns through the wealth. And if we could kind of help more and more families prevent and avoid that through education and communication, that was the main goal of the book. What's the role of tax planning in financial advice? Not that the history of the business was bad, but what we found was you'd accumulate a lot of wealth, but then it wasn't properly planned for. And then a lot would kind of be lost between the next generation through poor tax planning. So it's great that you had a wonderful investment return over a long period of time. But if you give a large chunk of that away to taxes when you leave this earth, it wasn't very efficient. Right. So a lot of it is properly communicating uh, and focus really on that wealth return that we talk about. And the other thing I'd say is keep it simple. Right. I think many times advisors in the industry want to focus on how smart we are as the advisor and rely on us to do it as opposed to really bringing it down to a comfortable level that everyone can participate in. So that's why we like to encourage families to start with that simple one-page net worth statement. Get everything detailed on one page, how it's titled, what are the totals, insurance, your house, you name it. And that's really a great starting point for families to talk through. And then once you have that, you can focus on your financial plan of what you need from income and retirement, and then you really get into the estate and legacy planning. But I think one of the keys we find is just bringing it down to a comfortable level that isn't overwhelming, and you just discover more through that process. So, JR, if uh, listeners would like to get in touch with you and your firm, how can they get in touch and uh, make contact? A couple different ways. Our website would be learner.hightoweradvisors.com. Me personally, my Instagram is at gondekjr or through LinkedIn. J.R. Gondick. J.R., thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. My pleasure. Thank you. Stocks for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Stocks for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thanks to Christopher Sulos for music production out of Garlic Breath Studio. Music flows when the money don't.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.